It is always summer under the sea. The merwives wear many moons in their hair and weave gowns of silver seaweed. I know, I know. Oh, oh, oh. Book to Ao! Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Brotherhood Without Manners, your favorite full spoiler reread podcast of George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Pisces. We are now on A Clash of Kings. This, well, I guess I should introduce myself first. As always, I'm Zach, sitting here next to me, this dude, my co-host, and brother, Nate. Mm-hmm. This guy. Slip that in yeah. real subtle. I don't I mean, think that's going to come through. Good. You and that's your. That's the uh, intent. I'm his brother, Nate. Gross. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. He's starting this one off harsh. And we're back at it again with the Game of Thrones shit. Well, Song of Ice and Fire shit. We True are that. finished with Game of Thrones shit. Uh, if you've joined us before, thank you for joining us for book two, Clash of Kings by We're George R. Martin. We made it. We're one book down and only four more to go. If you're just wins. here for the first time, we are full spoiler, so go back and make sure you are aware of what's going on if you don't like that, because Ned dies at the end of book one. And we got Blackwater, and Stannis loses the Blackwater at the end of this book, so... <laughs> Book ruined. Yeah, like, so you've been warned. You we were suck. warned. That's what happened. Anyway, uh, yeah. If you're new, welcome. If you listened before, thanks for being here. Things are pretty calm. We're, we we've been getting some teaser trailers for the House of Dragons, which is pretty sweet. Yeah, but nothing more. No, really. there was like some dragons slamming into some cliffs and shit, and it looked kind of cool. But that's about it. But I am pretty excited for that because Fire and Blood was a good read. Not that. All of us at the table would know that. Word has it that Martin Rumor is has it. hard at work at his typewriter. Yeah, he's not he's not doing any uh, scripts for any shows, any shows until Winds of Winter is done, which, like, good on you, George. We appreciate it, man. George I appreciate it. it. Maybe not all the fandom, because yeah. some people are still upset, a little angsty, a little angsty that we don't have wins yet. But So normally we would go through and give a little bit of a... a Back, uh, so last time in uh, book one. Yeah, but I don't <laughs> think that's going to be necessary too, too much at the moment, just because... This is a long-as-fuck chapter. Then it's a brand new set of characters that we haven't gotten to see yet, and so we'll focus more on introducing them and not... Yeah, no, um, book one is book one, and essentially we'll reference things from it that are pertinent to either this current story that we're reading or future events uh but for the most part yeah we're probably not gonna do any full coverage of events that occurred in one just because yeah. we'll touch upon you know yeah, in the next needed. first chapter will be aria and so we'll touch upon what happened to her at her but very end of her story like but... 72 goddamn episodes of game Book of thrones one. Yeah. so you can go ahead and listen to all those we will be here gladly waiting for you but this is a lengthy one today, folks. The prologue of A Clash of Kings. It is, pro- I, I think, what did we say? I the, think longest it's the longest chapter, chapter in, in the, the series so far. Um, and damn, it's a good one. It's, it's hefty. really good. So, uh, yeah, we're going to, this will probably be one of the longest episodes we've put out. As we said, this is a lengthy chapter, but we're going to dive right in mm-hmm. and. We get the POV for this chapter of Crescent, Maester Crescent. Maester Crescent. Which I, I'm just going to, at the top of the show, Start it off. It. Yep. I knew it was coming. Uh, we, we play Dungeons & Dragons. If you've listened to our other episodes, you would know that. And uh, I dungeon master it. And 
the party, uh, quite a few sessions ago at this point, came to a castle that was overrun with some zombies and dead folk. And there was a cleric, a high healer priest of that castle, and his name was Quesson, which sounds like a six-year-old trying to say Crescent. And so for the longest time, I was calling Quesson yeah. Crescent. It was and... very funny because, you know, my the character I play in that typically doesn't remember names very well, and so it worked out that I kept accidentally referencing Crescent from Game of Thrones, yeah. from Clash of Kings. And so if I call him Quesson at all during this, that will be why, because I had to hammer it into my head that it was Quesson, not Crescent, and now the last week or so I've been trying to do the reverse and remember that it's Crescent, not It's not Quesson. going well for him. It is not. <laughs> it's pretty great. But we get the comment as we open this prologue of the I took book. the first quote right off the bat, just to, to start off Clash of Kings because it's such a good bridge from Game of Thrones because <clears throat> the very last chapter of Game of Thrones was Danny and her seeing the comet as her dragons were mm-hmm. born. So <clears throat> the comet's tail spread across the dawn, a red slash that bled above the crags of Dragonstone like a wound in the pink and purple sky. And so we always mentioned in our other reread episodes all the different colors and how we feel they they represent a lot. And so we're already getting that first sentence of this 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 second book. And what do you think the comet means at this point right here? The comet is that's the whole kit and caboodle of the comet mm-hmm. is that it's it's individualized. Right. We know Danny believed it was Cal Drogo's star for burning him. We know Lewin and Bran have heard people saying it's Lannister Red, it's an omen for Rob, it's good things for Rob, right. it's it's the red of the old gods. Uh, Osha, the wildling woman, said that it was means only one thing, that's the red for dragons. Right, and so we get from the Meister here that it's just a comet. Like, and that's similar to what Lewin was, you know, we, even though he heard all these rumors, he was like, no, it is... Just a comet. Yeah, he's a man, and Lewin was very similar to that. It, they're, they're, they're the men of science. Right. They've studied these things. They know actually the scientific explanation for what these are. And from us, yeah. that, you know, in our world, we know what this is. This may or may not in this world, of course, be a mystical omen, or it could just be something that's occurring from the space yeah. debris normally, like a yep. normal planet. So, so yeah, the maester stood outside on a balcony outside his chambers. The gargoyles, that old, the hundreds of them that lined thousands. the crenulins of Dragonstone uh, beside him, a helldhound in a wyvern. Yeah, they first, Two of uh, thousands. They scared him when he first got there. Yeah, or at he least he felt grotesque. uneasy around them. But now he looked to them as old friends. Which this, uh, yeah, and the three of them watched the sky together with foreboding. So he's, this is such an image of this this dude looking out at this purple sky with the comet. I think it's funny that he's referring to them as old friends when really I almost think that Martin's kind of saying, your time has come, you're almost becoming one of these gargoyles now. Like, your time to sit and watch, and that's, that's it. That's it, like, that's what he's doing. A... He, uh, and it reminded me a lot of Bran, of Bran sitting and yeah, watching yeah. up among the... But it says, the maester did not believe in omens, yet Crescent had never seen a comet half so bright, nor that terrible color, the color of blood and flame and sunsets. And he wonders if his gargoyles had ever seen its like. They'd been here much longer than he and would be still long after he was gone. If only stone tongues could speak. Um, <laughs> that, 
granted, being full spoiler, I always, whenever I hear Stone anything, I think Stoneheart. Yeah. Um, it's a bad habit of mine. And the tongues with how difficult it is for her to speak, I just feel that it's kind of this, it'll eventually be a callback. To, with Stoneheart, with if only Stone Tongues could speak, yeah. she can't speak properly. But but there's also the fact that we are at Dragonstone, and there's yeah. theories that stone dragons may be coming to life. Um, I also can't help but think of Shireen and her stone-like face. Right. And she is essentially the one of the heirs of Dragonstone now, so it's... Uh, there's a lot, yeah. There's is and Martin. You can tell just loves doing that in this prologue, just putting these loaded sentences in that are like, "What the, it, does that mean? Anything or is Crescent just fucking?" Yeah, ruminating? this is unbelievably heavy with that kind of stuff. What do you think? Such folly. He is a maester of the citadel, sworn and chained. What had he come to when superstitions filled his head, like a simple farmer folk? And yet he still couldn't shake the feeling. It burned by day, even now. And steam rose once more from the hot vents of the dragon mont behind the castle. And yesterday, a white raven brought word of summer's end. Omens all, too many to deny. I've never heard or noticed the dragon steam mont. rising from the dragon mont. Yeah, there's a lot in this chapter that I what glance over. What the fuck is that? Like, what does that even fucking mean? What even is Holy that? Holy shit, man. Like, yeah, that blew my fucking mind. Yeah. I was like, hold on. As we'll learn in a little bit, the Dragon Ma is essentially the mountain behind Dragonstone, the small little fissure volcano-looking thing that, yeah, suddenly is now smoking once more with this comet and dragons back in the world. Yeah. So, yeah, and... Pylos comes and informs him that they have visitors. The princess had hoped to see the White Raven. And so, ever correct, we learn a little bit about this dynamic here. So, I think that we need to also point out a small similarity between uh, Crescent and... Lewin? Eamon. Eamon. Because he is old. He's pushing 90. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it, it says here, he knew... That she would be, that she was coming. Mm-hmm. He knew that's why Pylos was coming in was to announce her, and uh, Aemon did the same thing with with through the bear, old bear Mormont, back when John was going to run away from the wall. Yeah, he, they knew it was going to happen, and they knew he was going to come back, and he knew he yeah, was going to stay. Yes, this wisdom. Of... And so I just I think it's important to note that this man isn't crazy. He's not, you know, because he at the end of this chapter is really made out to just be this frantic manic old man sad but he he's very wise he's very lewin and aemon-esque in his in his knowledge and his tendency. he's very from the citadel obviously mm. but he's not a dumb I, well i mean the first man. image we get of him is this contemplative on this balcony looking out over the sunset at this comet with these gargoyles who have sat and watched over dread it is very he, he almost feels a sentinel of, of yeah, wisdom, this yeah. sort of guardian of... And we learn it's not the guardian of Dragonstone. He's trying to be the guardian of Stannis Baratheon. He, he's trying to protect what he sees as his family. And ever correct, he thinks, Pylos, now called Shireen Princess, as her lord father, was now a king. King of a smoking rock in the Great Salt Sea, yet a king nonetheless. And so Pylos takes Crescent's arm as he's very, very old. He's almost... Uh, 80 now. Oh, 80. And two years passed, he fell and shattered his hip, and it hasn't quite healed right. And so last year, the uh, Citadel sent Pylos, days before Stannis closed the aisle. So that is actually... 
something that occurs in Game of Thrones. Stan, we learn through yeah. whispers and rumors that Stannis is not allowing anyone to right. come to Dragonstone or leave Dragonstone. And Do so, you think that the Citadel was aware enough that something was happening to try and get someone in there? Or do you think it was just sh- shit chance he made it I in could time? see it absolutely being, one, Crescent's old, and two, the we've heard rumor, we've heard tell that Stannis Baratheon is being swindled by a Shadowbinder from a shy, turning him toward Rolor in this demon god. So go and try to bring him back into the Light of the Seven type right, thing right. of, yeah, see what you can do to suss out that info. And so, yeah, they sent Pylos uh, to basically, and Crescent knew the truth of it, to replace him when he died. And so, yeah, he sends Pylos to go get... Bring them in. Yeah. Uh, Shireen and... And he returns with him, the girl, shy as ever, and shuffling and hopping in his queer sideways walk came her fool, wearing a mock helm, a tin bucket with a rack of deer antlers strapped to it, hung with cowbells, so every step sent him ring-a-ding-ding. Yes. <sighs> Who comes so, to see us so early? I have a massive theory here. Already? Yep. Okay. Stay with me on this one now. Oh, this God. Is, so... Garrett has, is cold hands. He, no, that, oh, was, that oh, was book that one. That was book one, okay. Book one. So, Patchface has a, a horn, with uh, a helm with horns yep. on it, antlers, and hanging from that, because I think he has an illness... I think that Patchface, you know, when he came from the sea, he's sick, and there's only one cure. And that cure is more cowbell. God. He needs more cowbell in his hand. There's one in every fucking book. I think he's a fucking Dothraki. That's so. No, I've never actually, getting away from the ridiculous side thing. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. I've never noticed the similarity between the Dothraki wear bells in their hair when they win, when they win a battle. Yeah. And he's walking around with this these antlers, these horns, Baratheon. House Baratheon, yeah. with all these bells dangling. And we think it's just awkward Molly. And he, but he, he serves Stannis Baratheon's daughter. Stannis yeah. is one of the most uh, notoriously battle commanders. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. Is and so I just kind of these... thought that was kind of neat, but the only reason I made that was because I saw Calvell, and I was like, oh. I hate you. Yeah, fuck you. Yeah, <laughs> well, at least mine was Calvell. This is, yeah. But, yeah, so uh, Crescent asks, who comes to see us so early, Pylos? And Shireen answers, saying, me and Patches, master. And it says, we get the description of Shireen. She wasn't pretty. With her father's square jut of a jaw, her mother's un fortunate ears and the disfigurement of grayscale across one cheek and down her neck leaving the fish the flesh stiff and dead and stony to the touch flaking away so yeah literally turned her face to fucking yeah stone. so we get so this is some of the earliest grayscale we've get and the only known that we've directly encountered mm-hmm. before uh, because we won't get heavy heavy grayscale until her mm-hmm. and they Fuck, you forget how brutal her fucked up I face just, is. I just, I love how it's, we're getting bombarded with these stone, like stone, yeah, dragon, dragon stone, stone the gargoyles, gargoyles the now statues, the stone disease. Just, yeah, like, it's yeah. all, it's just so heavy in this chapter. And she asks <laughs> uh, that, she says, uh, Pilo said we might see the White Raven. And he says, Crescent says, you may, as if he would ever deny her. She had been denied too often. She was Shireen. She was nine. And she was the saddest child Crescent had ever known. And he saw his her sadness as his failure. 
and so he tells Pylos to go get the bird. So that's I think interesting as fuck. That yeah. So and and it's not condensed. I think to just Pylos or Crescent. This reaction is is permeated through everyone, but everyone kind of has a different reaction to Shireen, whereas right. Pi, uh, Crescent pities her and sees the grayscale Well, as he also looks at it as his fault. Failure he was, to cure it. He was yeah. the one sent to fix this. And yeah, because the quote there, it said that he thinks her sadness is his shame and another mark of his failure. Yeah. And yeah, he just puts it all on himself that this horribly disfigured girl is horribly disfigured because of him and it's caused her all this sadness and he uh what do you think he means by she'd been denied too often like is that her mother's abuse because we think know Celise is pretty harsh on her with being her father's daughter she's stuck at Dragonstone this lifeless fucking stone dead temple of a fucking castle the only friend she has is this you know uh, this jester that just is off his fucking rocker. She the, the the most exciting thing she has is to see a white raven. Like, and so I think it's that coupled with you know she's never gonna find somebody that thinks she's beautiful because of the grayscale yeah, and yeah. the way that the, the times are. So I think it's just all that shit coupled on top of each other. Because if she wasn't disfigured, she would be able to easily be. Married off to some other house, decent houses. Yeah, I can't put my finger on it, but there's something about Shireen that feels almost fairy tale, like yeah. the princess in the tower type thing. I but... definitely, I agree, because I think that that's it. It's it's George's way to subvert the. Here's your Disney princess. Your damsel in fucking, distress. She looks terrible. Yeah, but she's the only smart, intelligent, and like truly caring person that you're gonna be. Like she just wants the good in the world to go, but she doesn't look the part. Yeah. And so uh, we get a little bit more about Pylos, that he was a polite youth, no more than 25, yet solemn as a man of 60. And Crescent actually thinks that that's a bad thing because grim places needed lightning, not more solemnity. Solemnity? Sure. Sure. Okay. Cool. And and Dragonstone was grim beyond a doubt, a lonely citadel in the wet waste surrounded by storm and salt with the smoking shadow of the mountain at its back. Crescent came 12 years past, but never loved it here. And the fool watched Pylos, bells clanging, and begins to sing. And so I've quoted every stupid little line that this guy comes out with. I'm not going to sing them, but his first line is, Under the sea, the birds have scales for feathers. I know, I know, oh, oh, oh. And so... There's been there's a lot of shit online dissecting there's a ton of shit. this uh this first one I don't really have any crazy judging yeah, I mean, or guesses of because if we're gonna get into it there's just so much that could be gotten into it and honestly there's points where I almost wonder you know because why would is did Martin just give us this point of view chapter from Crescent for the sake of introducing these characters, or was there a particular reason, the thoughts that, that he says? Mm. Is it any, hold any stock? Because there's going to be a lot of, and we know that the Lord of Light stuff is not going to be necessarily true, but I have my opinions on that when we get to it. But maybe it's exactly as Crescent says. I was trying to this think. This is just a fool. His words mean nothing. Yeah. I I can't believe that at all. <laughs> um, the, the, like, I was trying to think in context of like prologues like cuz the first prologue is from Will's uh Will's point of view Will's yeah I think so 
and uh not way more Royce or Garrett's. So. Yeah, and so and Will dies, but then we get pro uh this prologue with Crescent and at the end we know Crescent dies and it's this interesting thing of what they see and what they occur in the first one is something that's not immediately a threat, but it's something that's going to come down the line and be bigger. In the first book, we dealt with a couple whites and heard some rumors, but as of yet, the others haven't fully attacked. And in this one, I feel like Shireen and Patchface are that, where they're the first characters we really meet besides Pylos through Crescent's eyes. And again, it's the children, as we spoke about in our wrap-up episode. It seems to be the legacy of the parents. That's what this story is, is the legacy of the past generation and how the current generation's children are dealing with it. And so I don't think that Stannis is the important one here. I think it's Shireen and Patchface and what's happening here with this because I think, again, this is one of those things that in the prologue, and we get it again... uh, I can't specifically, and I hate it, remember Clash of Kings prologue, or uh, Storm of Swords Swords prologue, but I know in Feast we get Pate, and like again, another thing that's going to come up down the line, and so it just, I don't know, it feels to me more important that these are the two first characters we're meeting at Dragonstone and getting this description from, and so... Ever a fool, uh, even for a fool, Patchface was a sorry thing. And he, Crescent thinks perhaps once he could evoke gales of laughter, but the sea had taken that power from him along with half his wits and all his memories. The girl was the only one who laughed at him now, the only one who cared if he lived or died. Yeah, so this part gets interesting because Crescent starts talking to Shireen, and he he asks, why are you up so early? It's way too early to be coming up just for a bird. And she says she's having bad dreams again. She has been for a while now. Yes. Dreams of dragons coming to eat her. And Crescent immediately says, you know, dragons can't come to life. So I just think it's interesting because she never says stone dragons. She never did. Do you think she's dreaming of Danny? I do. I think so too. Yeah. That's I, what I, I, I think she's actually dreaming of the dragons being birds into the world. Do you think she's dreaming of it, or do you think she's warging? I think she dragons? it could be more prophetic, and she's just seeing the dragons arriving at Westeros and thinking, like, oh, shit, they're coming to eat me because I'm a yeah, little yeah. girl. But, yeah, she could be pro- foreseeing something. Danny's arrival in Westeros, Aegon's arrival, or Fagon's arrival. Sure, I mean, arrival. especially where she is with the, the tie to the Targaryen lineage, the magic. Well, she's at the wall when... When right. dragons should or would be, well, up north near Winterfell, when dragons should or would be arriving. So, it, yeah, but I, I do think she's actually seeing legit dragons and not just the stone ones that Crescent's assuming. And you don't think she's getting burned? Getting burned? I hope not. It just, uh, that's a whole different discussion. Jesus. Well, because if the story's based on their point of view and what's going on with them, she would have to. Well, I'm not saying that. You know, Shireen is going to be a major player. I just think there's going to be an event with her, and maybe it is the burning, like from the show, but I think there is going to be an event with her that's just like, oh, fuck, that was critical, that was pivotal, and I feel like Patchface has a role in that. Key to that. Yeah. And so he tell, uh, yeah, they're, they're talking about the dreams, and he tells her that they are stone. The Valerians had ways of shaping stone that have since been lost. Oh, sorry. I had, uh, had a little note there oh, that yeah. maybe the dreams and the dragon fire was actually potentially 
prophesizing her burning alive and the burning. Yeah. Like, I mean, not to... Yeah, no, I would really could. be upset at that because I don't, I don't see book standards I don't either. doing that kind of stuff. And so it would have to be, you know, Solis keeping her, snatching her and doing a deal with Melisandre, and that's what brings John to life or something. But I don't see Stannis clearing it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I hope not. I don't. Yeah, me too. Poor Shireen. So Shireen asks about, what, well, what about the comet? Because Dala was by the, the, the well, and she heard yeah. the Red Woman tell Mother that it was Dragon's Breath. And if they're breathing, aren't they coming back to life? No, it's funny because you had mentioned, but I had put that I feel like it's important that the very first time we get a mention of Melisandre. From the mouth it's of It's from babes. the mouth of Shireen. Yeah. Yeah. And this line shows she's smart. If if it was Dragon's Breath, if they're breathing, that means dragons are back to life, no? Like, she is an intelligent little girl. That, that makes sense, right, Crescent? Like, like hmm? And Crescent thinks the Red Woman sourly ill enough that she's filled the head of the mother with her madness. Must she poison the daughter's dreams as well? Crescent don't like, now, don't like this Red Woman. And then, again, this is the last, I think, point that I think that Martin really wanted to drive home is only a Meister would feel so, or someone extremely pious to the Seven, would be so venomous towards Melisandre. Mm. And really, Melisandre is just a priestess of this other church. And so it, it, it allows us to see Melisandre kind of as this villain. When she's not necessarily, mm. I mean, not, I'm not saying she's look at every amongst all the. Well, other no, people. I know we just like I. I feel like we don't know Dick all of her motives, like. But and I think that is helped by this to force us into this. She's this terror. This yeah, bad, yeah, no, it's definitely person. meant to paint her in a negative light or negative red light, but. Yeah, it's because he he goes on to tell her that the thing in the sky is a comet, sweet child. It, it it's just a rock with a tail. It'll be gone soon enough, never again to be seen in our lifetime. Just you watch. And Shireen gave a brave little little nod and says, "Mother says the White Raven means it's not summer anymore." And Crescent says that it's so. They fly only from the citadel, and his fingers go to his chain, the mark of his order. And he thinks now that it's heavier to him, the chain. He'd worn it lightly enough in his youth, but... Which he'll say a few times. Yeah, the weight... So essentially we're getting that the weight of his order, the weight of the knowledge he has... I think that this is a... This is... I mentioned to you that I had a serious... A little more serious theory. I feel like this is all pointing towards that pate stuff and towards the faceless men stuff because he's going to get into his poisons and talk about where they come from. And the, there's only yeah. two other locations mentioned, the alchemists of Lys, and the, the poison, faceless and men the faceless men of Bravos, and the maesters um, of the Citadel. The, it, in that part, there's a line that mentions that most people like to forget that when, heal, when they may know how to heal, but that also know how to kill and so i feel like that's there's like this once you're high enough in the citadel there's a another level that the common folk don't know you are required to this is your you are if this is going too far if you're seeing the fall the lord's the light roller followers doing this it is time and so like the weight of i'm required to do this as per my that's the weight of his order. Mm-hmm. It's not just necessarily because he's so old or so... Well, yeah, that's like, it. The, the, the weight of this knowledge of what they know or what they do or what 
is occurring, whatever he knows is weighing him down at this point. And yeah, he tells her that this summer is done at last, 10 years and two turns in 16 days. It lasted the longest summer in living memory. And she asks if it will get cold now, and Crescent thinks that she was just a summer child, sweet summer child. Hopefully not for a long, after a long, bountiful autumn to prepare. And he, uh, he chooses to not mention that a very long summer usually means a longer winter. A longer winter, longer winter yeah. to cetera. So Patchface rang his bells and gives his it second. It is always summer under the sea. The Moives wear nanny moons in their hair and weave gowns of silver seaweed. I know, I know. Oh, oh, oh. All right. Well, that's fucking Sorry. off-putting. It should um, be. So nanny moans are an interesting thing when you look them up because they are essentially considered an, an anemone Memonies. with friends like these who needs anemones. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's uh, that one again, I, I don't fucking know. I, ugh, bad face. Yeah, so then he says that under the sea it snows up and the rain is as dry as a bone. And, like, there's just so many potential meanings for everything, but it unfortunately makes complete sense mm. that if something is happening underwater and it's raining it would be dry as a bone to anyone that's under the water because it's just fucking dirt. yeah i don't like that one's just ominous to me for some reason that one makes me think of valeria well it also the snows up yeah like Ash, is that right and the 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 rain is bone dry like that it's just, raining down it's, Ash, yeah, yeah. And so Pylos arrives with the raven, and Crescent calls the bird over to him, and it croaks out, Lady, as he introduces Shireen, and Shireen gets super Dude, excited. is he saying that Valyria's underwater and he's been there? That's what, like, I was kind of getting at. Like, and then the merwives are telling him that, like, yeah, yeah it, the, 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 and that's what he's actually, fuck. Yeah, it's... Bloody hell. The, the silver seaweed is, like, Reminiscent of Targaryen hair. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so, yeah, uh, Serene gets super excited that it talks, and he tells her a few words. As I said, these are clever. They're clever, these birds. And Patchface picks up. Clever bird, clever man, clever, clever fool. The shadows come to dance, my lord. Dance, my lord, dance, my lord. The shadows come to stay, my lord. Stay, my lord, stay, my lord. He jerked his head with each word. His clink, bells clink, sending clink, up a clamor. So, at the end, uh, beginning first, please. <laughs> clever bird. Well, clever man. This is clever, clever fool. At the end of the the chapter, Melisandre's gonna turn and use that exact put, turn of phrase. Oh, how we have here's a riddle. Now here's a riddle. A clever fool and a, and a wise man yeah. who is like a and a wise fool. Um. Yeah, so clever bird, clever man. He's essentially saying Cres uh, Crescent is on par with the intelligence of the raven. Clever, clever, clever fool. Patchface is saying that he's cleverer than both of these both two. Both of them. And then he proceeds to sing. The shadows come to dance, my lord. Melisandre? God, I don't know. That line <laughs> like gives me goosebumps because... I, I think of immediately Danny in the tent. Well, especially the, the way he's clanging his helmet his all His head is jerking jerky each and... time. And, like, yeah, I think of Danny in the tent with Miri Mazdur. The shadows would dance there that night. Obviously, Renly and Melisandre. Yeah, the shadows. The shadows come to stay is 
terrifying is that and she's the, a shadow binder from a shot is that the like, presence of like sucking stannis's like, yeah. life force and so the raven raven screamed at this and flew to perch on the rookery Shireen stairs seemed to grow smaller he sings that all the time i told him to stop but he won't it makes me scared make him stop so he does this a lot and she loves being with him. She usually is okay with I, the stuff like, he's doing, but for some reason, this song. I, That's why I didn't take much stock in a lot of the other ones, but this one. Like, I just picture them, like, alone in her room, and, like, he's just being fine. Yeah. And he just turns and starts, like, jerking his fucking head Dude, all buckety and bellsy. It's and he's like, so... chattels become... Like, because he's, uh, yeah, like, he's over there, like, doing a song she likes, and then all of a sudden he just starts fucking, the shadows come to dance my lord and like she's fucking sitting there in the corner like it's horrifying because he and and we don't get it here until a little bit but he's fucking tattooed in green and red motley yeah so like Like, a checkerboard but green and red it's fucking flannel bro like he's hipster as fuck but like this is horrifying to me especially with this bucket it's not a real helm with antlers mounted on the top and just strings of cowbells jangling and clanking about it like and so the old man crescent wonders and how would i do that how would i make him stop and we get the the history of patchface patchface had come to them as a boy lord stefan baratheon had found him in volantis the old king Ares Targaryen, who had not been quite so mad in those days, sent Stephron to seek a bride for Prince Rhaegar Targaryen, who had no sisters to wed. We have found the most splendid fool, he wrote Crescent, only a boy and yet nimble as a monkey and wittier as a dozen couriers. He juggles and riddles and does magic and can sing prettily in four tongues. We have bought his freedom and hope to bring him home with us. Robert will be delighted with him, and perhaps in time, he will even teach Stannis how to laugh. So, he was... The boy genius of fucking... Fucking, yeah. And now, uh, uh, he and does magic. I don't like that. He does magic. He does magic. It's sad and Crescent to remember that letter, because no one had ever taught Stannis how to laugh, least of all the boy Patchface. And then we learn that the... Lord Stefan's fate. The storm had come suddenly. Lord Stefan's two-masted galley, wind-proud, broke up within sight of the castle. And from the parapets, his two eldest sons watched their father's ship smashed against the rocks and swallowed by the water. So, with that real quick, can I just point out that throughout our entire Game of Thrones reread, we got a lot of Robert. We never got this. Yeah, that he saw his father die. Like... He watched both his parents die. To watch your parents die like that, like in this storm, like, no wonder these two are pretty fucked oh, up. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, no, like, Robert's a tragic character, definitely. It's, but, god damn. Yeah, it's it's cool that we're still learning a little bit more about All Robert's characters, character, yeah. yeah. And so, a hundred oarsmen and sailors went down with Lord Stefan Baratheon and his lady wife, and for days after, every tide less a left a fresh crop of swollen corpses beneath the beach of Stor- uh, the beach on Storm's End. Patchface washed up on the third day. They found him naked, his skin white and wrinkled. Cresson was down there helping, thought him another corpse, but when Jami grabbed his ankles, he coughed water and sat up, and to his dying day, 
Jami had sworn that Patchface's flesh was clammy cold. No one had ever explained those two days the fool had been lost at sea. The fisherfolk liked to say the mer- the mer- a mermaid taught him to breathe water in exchange for his seed. Patchface himself said nothing. The witty, clever lad Lord Stefan had written of never reached Storm's End. The boy they found was someone else, broken in body and mind, barely capable of speech, much less wit. So, he was gone three days in the water. Yeah. Three fucking days in the water. Just outside the, the bay, like everyone else washed up. What? Where? Yeah. Fucking where? What happened to Patchface is essentially that fucking question. The Bermuda Triangle. Fucking A. Yet, the fool's face left no doubt of who he was, for in Volantis, it is custom to tattoo slaves' faces. From neck to scalp, the boy's skin had been patterned in squares of red and green motley. Old Sir Harbit, the castellan of Storm's End in those years, said the kindest thing to do would be to fill his cup with milk of the poppy and put an end to it, but Crescent had refused, and all these years later, he couldn't say if Patchface had ever gotten any joy out of that decision. Gross. Yeah, that's pretty fucked. So he tells Shireen that a fool says what he will, you must not take his words to heart. And Pylos returns, saying that he has some new news. Davos returned last night. And he is currently with the king, as he has been most of the night. And Crescent gets a little pissy here and thinks that there was a time Stannis would have summoned him immediately, woken him to hear his counsel. And he tells Pylos that he should have been told, so he send, he tells Shireen he's got to see his father and tells Pylos to lead him there. Shireen and Patchface follow them for yeah, a little bit, but dash ahead with Patchface's bells clanging madly. They descend the stairs of the Sea Dragon Tower, knowing that Stannis would be in the chamber of the painted table atop the stone drum, Dragonstone's central keep. Crescent's concerned about all the stairs, but Stannis would not think to come to him, and so he resigned himself to the ordeal, thankful yeah. for at least having Pylos. Yeah, he does end up leaving Pylos at the bottom of the stairs, uh, at the bottom of the tower. To well, we real quick, we do get a little glimpse of Stannis's army in yeah. Dragonstone, a camp of uh, 3,000 men, and the crowned anchorage, uh, Stannis's uh, fleet. Yeah, yeah. Fucking A. The fleet that, uh, and we learned no craft that came within sight of Dragonstone this past year had been allowed to leave again. So there's just a mass of fucking ships out in this galley. And then, yeah, uh, Stannis' Fury, a war galley, three-masted war galley. So just think what would have happened if, uh, if Cat had decided to stop there. She'd still be there. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the guards outside the stone drum knew the masters by sight, let them through, and... He continues on alone, telling Pylos that he should see him alone, but halfway up he regrets it. Until he runs into Sir Davos! A slight man, his low birth written plain on his common face, a well-worn green cloak over a brown doublet, a pouch about his neck, and a leather glove on his maimed left hand. When he saw Crescent, he slowed. And they begin to talk, and... We learned that it was uh, said no man ever handled a ship by night half so well as Davos Seaworth. Yeah, because he mentioned that he arrived in the Black of Night, his favorite time. And basically, yeah, they he Crescent asked Davos how it went, and 
everything we don't get much information regarding what went down he but just says they will not rise not yeah. for him they do not love him and Crescent says nor will they ever uh he is strong able just just past the point of wisdom yet it is not enough it has never been enough and so yeah these two seem to agree they're on the same page and we learn a little more that that's true later on that they're trying to talk Stannis into a different path than what he wants to do, and they're losing that battle. And Davos tells him that not all the lords would see him as he's still just the Onion Knight. He's lowborn, and we learn that Stannis hacked his fingers at the yeah. last joint, all but the thumb. And we learn that he met with Swan, Old Penrose, and the Tarts. But Beric Dondarrion is missing, some say dead. And Karen is with Renly. He is sworn for Renly. Yeah, we also then learn that Loras Tyrell is the Lord Commander of his brand new Rainbow Guard. Yeah. And Crescent's like, of course, Renly. Of course. Rainbow Guard. He always was obsessed. A splendid new order of knighthood with gorgeous new raiment to proclaim it. Even as a boy, Renly loved his bright colors and rich fabrics. He loved his games as well. And. (laughs) <laughs> yeah that bold little boy with wild black hair was 21 now and still he played his games look at me i'm a king crescent thinks recalling renly running through dragonstone saying look at me i'm a dragon or look at me i'm a prince look at me i'm a king oh renly what do you do you know what you're doing would you care if you did does no one care for him but me and so davos essentially tells him that yeah words are wind we're fucked and yeah, that's Cre- basically what I put. Crescent asks, you know, you could bring him no hope, and Davos says, only the false sort, and I don't do that. Yeah, and then uh, basically Crescent thinks that he would expect nothing less from Davos, and we get the history of Davos. Yeah, and, and the siege. Th- basically, yeah, we learn about the siege of Storm's End. Stannis during... held Storm's End for near a year versus houses Tyrell and Redwine. Now, this battle we did get in... Game of Thrones. Yes. Yeah. But I like I think it's important to note that high houses Tyrell and Redwine were there yeah. sieging it. And against Stannis, who and yet they all just bannered uh behind Renly. Yeah. So Davos managed to slip through with the blockade with some food and rations and got them all stocked up until Ed Stark was Ned Stark was able to arrive and break the siege. Stannis rewarded Davos with some lands on Cape Wrath and a small keep and knight's honors, but also decreed that he lose a joint on each left-hand finger for his years of smuggling. Davos submitted on condition that Stannis himself wield the knife. And Stannis chose a butcher's cleaver. Better to strike hard and true. And afterward, Davos chose Seaworth for his house name. And so Crescent's like, yeah, no, a man like this ain't giving Stannis no false hope. Yeah, yeah. And so he thinks of, uh, what's up? He basically heads up is what I was going to say. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're, uh, yeah, I must add my voice to yours, essentially, is what Crescent's saying. So, yeah, they, in the center of Stannis' refuge was a large slab of a table fashioned at the command of Aegon Targaryen before the conquest. Shaped after the land of Westeros, its surface a painted map of the Seven Kingdoms as they were in Aegon's day. There is one chair in this room, positioned at Dragonstone on the map, and it was Stannis who looked up as Crescent entered. I knew you would come, old man, whether I summoned you or no. 
Stannis Marathian, the Lord of Dragonstone and rightful heir to the Iron Throne. Hard was the word men used to describe Stannis. Not yet 35, yet only a fringe of black hair remained, like a shadow of a crown on the back of his head. As if an answer to his late brother's, Robert's, wild beard, Stannis kept his own whiskers cropped tight and short. His eyes were open wounds on under heavy brows, a blue as dark as the sea at night. His mouth was made for frowns and scowls <laughs> and sharply worded commands, a mouth that forgot how to smile and never learned how to laugh. And sometimes, in the still of night, Crescent imagined he could hear Stannis <laughs> grinding his teeth. I don't doubt it. So, yeah, they start talking about some stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, just what we know that Davos was talking to him about before. And, you know. Yeah, they've declared for Renly the Storm Lords. Yeah. And he spits out Renly's name like poison. He is Yeah, he's fucking pissed. And then he brings up the old how he's furious about, which I feel like we even talked about during uh, Game of Thrones at one point during a chapter with, like, Ned. How furious fucking Stannis was that he didn't get Storm's End. Yeah, he, he was, was stuck in Dragonstone. Dragonstone. Just, I mean, especially with the fact Redwine and Tyrell and them had all sieged him. It wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to put him in there and command them because it would be, I mean, technically speaking, yeah, Stannis would be just, but he's an asshole. Yeah, but even Crescent says that, like, Robert did you an injustice, yet Dragonstone was the seat of House Targaryen. He needed a man's strength, and Renly was but a boy. Like, he needed you here, not Renly. And Stannis thinks that, yeah, Renly's a child still, a thieving child who hopes to snatch the crown off my brow. What has Renly ever done to earn a throne? He sits council and jests with Littlefinger, and at tourneys dons his splendid armor and allows himself to be knocked off his horse by better men. That is the sum of my brother Renly. I ask you, why did the gods inflict me with brothers? That's Stannis. what I ask every day. Stannis. Oh, man, I feel you. And so he asks who it is that maesters for Renly. Perchance I should send for him. I may like his counsel better. And he asks Crescent, what counsel did your colleague offer to this traitor brother of mine? And Crescent just says, it would surprise me if Renly asked for a fucking counsel. Like, he, he's going to do what he wants to do. And in that, he was more like Robert and utterly unlike Stannis. Yeah. And then he uh, he kind of starts suggesting siding, allying with Renly. There's an inter- well, there's an interesting point, because Crescent calls him your grace at some point here. And Stannis kind of bitterly repeats, your grace, you mock me with a king's style, yet what am I king of? And he steps off the chair and his shadow falls over Blackwater Rush. Yeah, I saw that it says that it falls And the over. painted forest where King's Landing now stood. And so we know at the end of the book, he's going to be attacking fucking Blackwater. Right, like, I right. just think that uh, that was fucking significant. His shadow done. just extending over it. And yeah, he tells him that he's meeting with his bannermen this evening. He's going to be feasting them for dinner. Right. And all the people are going to be there. Salador Sand's going to be there. Keltigar's going to want to know who's joining. Valerion will threaten to take his men home unless we strike at once. And so he's like, what do I do? What the fuck do I tell him now? And Yeah, so that's when Crescent mentions, you know, allying. Common with, cause, yeah. With them. And, and he's like, fuck you. And nope. then he's like, well, what about with Rob Stark, Ned Stark's son, you know? Uh, they've named him a king. A green boy and a false king. Am I to accept a broken realm? 
And then he also starts mentioning how bitter he is here towards Ned Ned Stark. Stark, Because his older brother thought of Ned more of a brother than himself. How often I heard that Robert loved him as a brother. I was his brother, not Ned Stark, but you'd never know it. I held Storm's End as Mace Tyrell and Paxter Redwine feasted within sight of my walls watching good men starve. Did Robert thank me? No, he thanked Stark for lifting the siege. I built a fleet, took Dragonstone in his name. Did he thank me? No, he blamed me for letting Willem Derry steal away Viserys and the babe as if I could have stopped it. I sat on his council for 15 years helping John Aaron ruled while Robert drank and whored. When John died, was I named his hand? No, he galloped off to Ned Stark and offered him the honor. Small good it did either of them. Like, he is bitter as yeah. fuck about this. And that's huge to Stannis' character. He cannot get over the slights his brother Cause. kept passing over for Ned Stark. Yeah. So then uh, Crescent says, well, we also could ask the Aarons for help. Yeah. Perhaps you should marry Shireen to Robert Aaron. And Stannis goes in on Lysa, how she's a fucking crazed lunatic. Yeah. And how there was, you know, the boy was soft and, you know, he'd talked, he even mentions the fostering him. Yeah, it would have done him some good. And then uh, Crescent's like, well, you could always send Shireen and Patchface to them. It may be worth trying. Yo, like... The sti- Littlefinger would have killed her. Mm. Littlefinger would have fucking killed her because yeah. it would have been a huge stick in what he, his plan is. Yeah. And I think that this is where he even mentions uh, Cersei poisoning John Aaron is what stares. Yeah, says. yeah, that damnable Lannister woman because, uh, yeah, he said fostering the boy might have done him good, but the damnable Lannister woman poisoned John Aaron, and now Lysa hides in the Eyrie, and she will never part with the boy, it's I promise It's so funny you. that of all people, though, even Stannis, the one that we're led to believe is this all-knowing commander who's got all the pieces, he still do- yeah. doesn't know. Uh, he still thinks it's Cersei, too. And at this point, as Stannis is saying, you know, it may be worth trying to send Shireen to the Eyrie, a voice cuts in and says, the most... Um, <clears throat> Must the rightful lord of the Seven Kingdoms beg for help from a widow woman and usurpers? And Crescent hadn't heard her answer, but we meet Stannis' wife, Selyse, here, and he tells her, I do not beg of anyone. Mind you, remember that woman. And she is tall as her husband, thin of, thin of body, thin of face. Her eyes are pale, her mouth is stern, and her voice was a whip, which she cracked now. Basically saying that the Aarons, the Stark boy, Renly's men, they all owe you their allegiance anyway, you so what the go, fuck yeah. are you she doing? Says, as king, it would not be fitting to go around begging for what is yours by the grace of God. And Crescent notes that yeah. she said God, not gods. The Red Woman had won her heart and soul, turning her from the gods of the Seven Kingdoms of Westeros to worship the one they called the Lord of Light. And even Stannis, though, who still hasn't converted, <laughs> asks... Will her new faith, you know, can you ask your prayers? Are they going to bring me a fucking army? Yeah, you've got an army. You've not told me. Affection in his tone. Stannis was always uncomfortable around women, even his wife. He did his job in the marriage bed once or twice a year, but the sons he had once hoped for never came. And Solis tells him that her house, House Florent, will rally to you. And Stannis is like, House Florent can field fucking 2,000 swords at most. Like... Relax. I like that Crescent notes that it said Stannis knows the number of swords every house in the Seven Kingdoms yields. Yeah. Holy fuck. Yeah. I don't think Tywin could do that. Like, 
you know, Stannis is legit, man. And then he also says that the Florent lands are way too close to Highgarden. They're not going to risk Mace Tyrell's wrath right yeah, there. Yeah, which is, makes sense completely. So Solis tells him to look out at the comet. Red it is, the red of flame, red for the fiery heart of the true god. It is his banner, and yours. It means your time has come, your grace. You are meant to sail from Dragonstone, as did Aegon the Conqueror, and sweep all before you. Just say the word and embrace the power of the Lord of Light. And Stannis asks, yeah, how many swords does the Lord of Light have? And she says, all you need, if Renly should die. Dun, 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 dun. And Stannis just looks at his lady with narrowed eyes until Crescent could no longer hold his tongue. It is not to be thought. Whatever follies Renly... Follies. I call them treasons. God, I love you, Stannis. Yeah, and then Stannis says that Renly has his host and his rainbow guard, and Solis tells him that Melisandre has gazed into the flames and seen him dead. And Crescent immediately, he starts throwing out fratricide, and it's pure evil. Like, you can't, you know, no, no. So, yeah, Stannis tells him, you know, I've heard your counsel, old man. I'll hear hers now. You're dismissed. Go. See ya. And, and that's that. So so right here, uh, I think we're going to take our first Yeah, we're going to do a little, uh, our first little intermission break here as this is a longer episode. Uh, we're going to be convening our council, just meeting with Stoneheart, chatting about some stuff. So stay here. There's going to be a brief little transition. We're going to get you some, uh, just our socials, that kind of stuff, go over some. And then we'll be right back And then in we'll be right back into the with, chapter. With uh, Pylos, uh, we'll be taking... Crescent over to his room, and then we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah, so we'll finish up this chapter. We'll see you after we convene with the council. Catch you in a minute. What up, guys? And thanks for joining us for our small council. What up? Uh, and so this is just a new little section that we're going to do where we'll be reading out our socials, let you know what's going on with us. Yeah, and... just taking a break from the episode. We're not talking about episode stuff. We're talking about us stuff. Yeah, so this uh, mainly is just going to be telling you that, well, the first thing we want to address is our Patreon Yeah. for those wonderful subscribers to that. We are working on Barry, our Barristan Selmany, uh Winds of Winter chapter reread. That's coming very soon. We have some notes ready to go when we're just finding a date to record yeah we just had some trouble scheduling that so that is still coming on the horizon that should be coming actually by the time you hear this that may be out already yeah uh hopefully but we are that is coming on the horizon we haven't forgotten you there and then we're gonna hopefully there will be an increase in our patreon episodes uh, yeah as we wanted to a month instead of just the one a month uh if you would like to contact us we love reading emails regardless of what it's about but also, in particular, inductees. We love getting your inductees in the episodes. Yeah. So, as you know, we're starting Clash of Kings. We're very early on in that. So, by all means, send us those in. Even if we've already read the chapter, we'll get those on air. You can get us anywhere. We're on email, social media. So, our email is withoutmannersbrotherhood at gmail.com. We have a Facebook group, facebook.com slash brotherhoodpodcast. Um, we have a couple Twitter accounts. You're over there at carstark92. Yeah. I'm at Manners Without. You're on Instagram, at Manners Without. And, of course, the Patreon, which is, again, got sweet content for those who are Yeah, we've been up. brainstorming some new ideas. Uh, we've Things been, that aren't necessarily. We've been talking about, like, yeah, we're, we, we really want to try to on niche ourselves here with uh with Game of Thrones it's a pretty you know 
strict script of what we're talking not script because we're not scripted but we take notes yeah. and, and try to stay on topic as best we can but we, but we do have interests that a are little outside more of form. yeah maybe so. something talking about D D or you lost, know other lost other shows other shows games, we really whatever. like um, but our patreon is patreon.com slash without manners so. so if you guys have any thoughts on that let us know what would you like from content from us because we're always interested we we brainstorm a thousand new podcasts a day that yeah. we want to do and whether so, it's book related if different any of you we would love or... to hear your opinions on that if any of you have any thoughts or questions about things you'd like to hear us bantering about but uh for this short intermission we're just going to keep it short we just wanted to touch base with you guys to let you know what's going on on our yeah. end and so we'll let you get back to the yeah. sweet sweet reach prologue. out to us on the socials leave ratings and reviews on apple podcasts or stitcher or breaker or google podcasts or anywhere you can leave reviews thank you Get back to the episode. Let's uh, see what happens here with some uh, crescent decisions in the prologue. All right, we'll catch you guys back in the episode. Council convened. So Pylos takes and meets Crescent at the bottom of the stairs and escorts him back to his room. It's pretty uneventful. Get the fuck out. Yeah, basically is what Stannis says. So he goes back out to the balcony in his gargoyles and just kind of ruminates on some things, thinking had he lived so long just for this, for things to to go this way. Yeah, to see. So he basically kind of thinks about how uh, since Lord Stefan died, he felt like he raised these three boys. Yeah, Maesters, when they don the chain, give up hope of children. They can't marry. And, yeah. So and this is the closest thing he would ever have to sons. Yeah. And so did he live so long to watch one son kill the other? Had he done so poorly? In the yeah. Reason, he's placing that blame on him like mm-hmm. he did with Shireen again. And it's, you know, especially now that you have kids as an uncle and a father, oh, like absolutely. you get that guilt of like, fuck, like did I fuck up these kids so bad that... They're gonna, now. Right. I have to watch one kill the other, and and it's just it's tragic. This is this is Crescent's tragedy here. This is the motivation for him, the breaking point. He cannot, and he says it. He cannot. He will not allow that to happen. He can't watch one of them kill the other. And That's so his, his line in the right, sand. His thoughts turn to Melisandra of Ashad, the Red Woman at the heart of it all. And Crescent thinks that many of the others called her the Red Woman because they were afraid to say her name, but he is not afraid. Melisandra of Ashai, sorceress, shadowbinder, priestess of Rolor, lord of light. Melisandra, whose madness must not be allowed to spread from Dragonstone. Must not be allowed. Like a fucking plague, man. Like a wildfire. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. So Crescent (laughs) goes over to his little closet. He goes to my first alchemy set. Yeah, his little closet of chemicals. Yeah, it's basically his medicine cabinet, which is just entirely more full than yours because he's a Meister of the Citadel. And he grabs a vial of crystals, purplish crystals, that are very costly to make and harder to acquire. But the alchemist of Lys knew the way of it and the faceless men of Bravos so, yeah. and the maesters of his order. So I I put, I kind of got in depth with that little spot there cuz he he pulls out the vial and it's a small purple vial, shakes it and hear the crystals rattling. He empties out the bottles and it contains a dozen crystals no bigger than seeds. So purple he found himself thinking he had never truly seen the color. And we see that purple again, which we've seen earlier on with the sky, but 
he that purple uh, real quick it's interesting because this poison is used against Joffrey right and the purple we get a lot of uh, Arya has a sort of prophetic telling of a woman with purple snakes in her hair and a lot of people have put that prophecy as Sansa with the hairnet having, having the strangler in oh, yeah, the yeah. purple again yeah. is just getting reinforced with that and so he even mentions that you know it's it also works because though he's forgot the name of what the the poisoners of lease call it the original, the name, original yeah. names um he he still notes that the color purple is almost the same color as their face turns but i had the quote here all the world knew a meister forged his silver link when he learned the art of healing but the world preferred to forget that men who knew how to heal also knew how to kill and so I had touched on it earlier, but... And he gives it the name, the Strangler. Exactly. known as in the Citadel. And I So we just, just learned a lot there. Yeah, and that's where I, I really think that this is something that we can really tie into whatever the hell the Faceless Men are doing in Old Town. And Feast. Because I really feel that this shows they're just as capable of assassination and killing. Mm-hmm. And not just killing, but like ploying and like having these plots against other factions and like I think that right there we got some of the biggest players and we haven't seen anything from these poisoners of lease we may never but I think that Old Town and the Faceless Men are just huge Yeah cuz he thinks that you drop this crystal in some wine and it dissolves and it's no different from a man choking on a morsel of food so we're getting that yeah these masters know how to kill people and make it look like an incident, yeah. uh, an accident, or something natural, and uh, he thinks that tonight Stannis would be feasting his bannerman and his wife and the lady Melisandra, and so he thinks this is where his plans coming together. He plans on killing her, and so he thinks he must rest. It is dreadful what I must do, yet it must be done. And he sees the comet as he lays down and closes his eyes and thinks that perhaps it is my comet, an omen of blood foretelling murder. And he takes his rest, and it's dark when he wakes up, and he Way real- later than realizes he that he wasn't summoned for dinner at all, and so he must hurry, and he thinks that he must hurry for Stannis's sake. Yeah, so he goes running out of his room calling for Pylos. Gathers his crystals, pockets them in his crazy sleeves. Yeah, which I like that it noted that the he's not a poisoner from Lys who use hollowed-out rings mm-hmm. to contain their poisons. He has to use one of the many, many pockets sewn in the sleeves. I... I feel like even though her sleeves are a little shorter, we should be aware of that possibility with Melisandre, too. Because mm. we know of the fact, we'll kn- we do know that she does similar tactics and keeps things tucked away, the powders and stuff yeah. that she'll use. And so, so yeah, he, he answers for Pylos, but there is no, or he calls out for Pylos, but there is no answer. And so he summons the servants because he needs to fucking hurry. And he's not understanding where Pylos is. It's not... Computing, yeah. yeah. And so out the windows, he sees the comet again and thinks that I am too old and too wise to fear such things. And they arrive at the Great Hall. And they the doors of the Great Hall were set in the mouth of a dragon. And he sends the servants away. Dude, the imagery for that, that he's entering the mouth and of a dragon. And alone, he climbs up the steps and it says, Crescent stepped into the dragon's maw. 
as he enters the Great Hall. Fuck. Yeah, he's stepping into the dragon. The belly of the beast. And so over the clamor of the knives and the cutlery, he uh, because Stannis keeps an orderly feast, he doesn't allow drunken rowdiness because that would disrupt someone's eating. Yeah, that's very anti-Robert. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think that's exactly the reason, is his brother's a drunken fool. Yeah. And we know that, that St- Robert at a Loves festival has, of... like, de- uh, he fucked up, I think he fucked Salisa's sister or yeah. something at, at in, their wedding in bed. Her wedding yeah, bed, and, it, like... and so that is what this speaks to to me. And over the clamor, he hears Patchface singing once again, The shadows come to stay, my lord. And so he makes his way to the high table where the Lord sat with the king. Yeah, doing his best to skirt around big old patch face. That there, doesn't happen. Around patch face backs up and bumps into them, and they take a tumble to the ground. And a gale of laughter rises around him, and patch face fell fell on him. See, he at least has the presence of mind here to be like, "This has got to look funny as fuck." Yeah, like it's comical as shit. And as patch face falls on him, their faces are close together, and he says to Crescent, under the sea, you fall up. I know, I know, oh, oh, oh. And he bounced to his feet and began jerking and dancing again. Fearing a broken hip again, Crescent finds himself lifted to his feet, and as he goes to thank the knight, he turns and sees Melisandre. Right here. She is someone who uses these secret sleeves and stuff. Do you think she felt his sleeves? Do you think she somehow became aware of the crystals right there? No, I think she saw it. I think she in saw there, it. In, I think so. she saw it in the flames. Oh, you saw the yeah, sheet. yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. I think she was aware. That makes sense. Of, yeah, what he was doing, and it says, <clears throat> "Red head to heel, with a red golden choker tighter than a maester's chain around her neck, with ornamented with a single great ruby, her hair a deep burnished copper, even her eyes were red. Her heart face. Uh, she had a heart shaped face. Her skin was smooth and white, graceful." She was taller than most knights. Many called her beautiful. She was not beautiful. She was red. Terrible and red. And he thanks her. Thank you, my lady, for her help. And she tells him, A man at your age must look to where he steps. The night is dark and full of terrors. And Crescent recognizes that as the prayer of her god. And he's like, nah, fuck your god. Only children fear the dark. And Patchface begins to sing again. The shadows come to dance, my lord. And she... Now here is a riddle. A clever fool and a foolish wise man. And she picks up Patchface's helm and places it on Crescent's head. A crown to match your chain, Lord Maester. And as the laughs pick up around him again, Crescent fights to hold his rage. Old as he was, he's still a fucking maester of the Citadel. And he says, I need no crown but truth, my lady. And he removes the helm. And she says, there are truths in the world that are not taught at Old Town. And in a fucking flourish of red, she turns and went back to where the king was seated. I just kind of picture that scene in Hunger Games with the fiery dress. This girl is on fire. I suppose that could play in the background, too. Yeah. And Crescent followed with Patch... uh, following behind Melisandre up to the high table, and there he, he notes Pylos. is fucking... Fuck the police coming straight for you. The most gangster move. He Pylos is, is, is just, just chilling with Stan. I bumped the table. Crescent I got excited. is fucking floored. He's blown the fuck away. Like, he has no... 
Pylos, bro, you you, you forgot to wake me up, dude. Pylos says that his grace commanded me to let you rest. And yeah. uh, And and then he goes further. He's like, he says that you're no longer needed here. Yeah. And Crescent looks around just kind of stupefied. And of all the High Lords, and they are all seated up there, the only one willing to meet his gaze is Sir Davos Seaworth. And Stannis tells him, yeah, you're too old and confused to be of good counsel now. Pylos will counsel me henceforth. And Crescent thinks to himself, Stannis, my sullen boy, you must not do this. Don't you know how much I loved you? Better than anyone. And then he comes out with, like, the saddest thing ever. But can I just sit at the table and eat? I'm just... I am hungry, And immediately, the, the voice of chivalry, Davos, rises and says, I would be honored if the Lord Maester would sit next to me. And Stannis grants it, as you will, and turns back to Melisandre, who has taken the place of honor yeah. at his right, with Solis to his left. Which just makes him think that she's way too far for him to be able to sneak the poison into her cup. He's got to be closer. And, and Patchface begins to sing again and says, Here we eat fish under the sea. Fish eat us. I know, I know. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, and Davos says they may as well all be in Motley, as this is basically fool's business here tonight. We yeah. already know what's going to happen. Stannis means to press his claims, regardless yeah. of the numbers. And, and Davos said it earlier, if he goes to King's Landing, it will be to die. And that was actually a line on the stairs that they said, but yeah. I think that's so for te- like. They do. Blackwater yeah, fucking they, erupts yeah. in their face. And, and so Crescent <clears throat> finds the crystals in his hand and calls Lord Stannis and begins to suggest common cause again. You but Solis cuts him off. King Stannis! Yeah. And, and Stannis refuses the common cause. Because Stannis is like, he's old and confused and like, ch- just chill. Let him let him be. What do you have to say? And He says, it, speak your mind. Yeah. Like, feel free to like... And again, Crescent suggests the Aarons, the Starks, Renly, anything, right. and he Stannis flat out refuses. And Crescent thinks I have lost him, and tells him you cannot hope to triumph without allies. And Solis again, he has Rolor, the Lord of Light, and Crescent basically says, so, that oh, one cool. has no power here. Yeah, because he tells her that gods make fickle friends at best, and that one has no power here. You think not? As Melisandre turns to regard him, her ruby seems to glow and catch the light. Then you ought to wear the fool's helm, says Solis. <clears throat> well, yeah, because Melisandre was basically like, well, if you think that, then you're still a fool and you should have kept the crown yeah. on. And she's like, I command you to put the crown back on. And Patchface begins to sing, saying, under the sea, no one wears hats, which made me think of crowns for some reason. Yeah. And Stannis grounds his teeth, demanding Patchface bring his helm. And Patchface walks over and places it. On Crescent's yeah. head. Crescent internally is begging Stannis because he's saying, Don't do it. You never This cruel. is cruel. Like, never have you been cruel. Just, always just, firm, but fair. And yeah, this isn't like you and Solis. Because he says, he says that Stannis doesn't understand mockery. Or, yeah, or and, laughter and amusement. Yeah. Like, like it doesn't know. Yeah. And Solis suggests that perhaps he should deliver his counsel in song from now on. But Stannis says, "That's you, you go too far, woman. He has served me well. And so at least he has the And that gives him his idea. And Crescent says, and I will serve you to the last, my sweet lord, my poor lonely son. 
and he'd found his way in Davos's half-finished wine cup. So he quickly, he thinks, deftly, so no one can see, he drops the crystal in. Davos saw, but no one else. And so he rises and offers to share a cup. Perhaps I was wrong, Lady Melisandre. A cup in honor of your god and toast of your lord of light. Davos grabs that motherfucker. He's like, what you doing, bruh? Yeah, Melisandre says, if you wish, and he could feel all the eyes in the room on him, and yet Davos stops him. What are you doing? And he says, a thing that must be done for the sake of the realm and the soul of my lord. And he pulls Davos' arm off of him. And they met beneath the high table with every eye on them, but he saw only her. And she grabs his hand and the cup atop the cup. There is still time to spill the wine, my lord. So. She's fully aware, obviously. Yeah, she's, she don't give a fuck. She's telling him, like, I know you're about to, what you're about to do. You can still not do it and live. And he whispers, no, no. And she says, as you will. And it says, Melisandre of Shy took the cup and drank long and deep leaving only about a half a swallow. Now you. And she offers it to him. Crescent downs it, not letting himself yeah. feel the fear. And, and as he's drinking it, that last little sip, she says, Roller does have power here, and fire cleanses. And he drops a cup, lets it shatter to the floor, and tries to reply, but... Iron hands had gripped his windpipe, and he fights to even suck in air. So during this, her ruby shimmers and throbs with like a... um. He fell to his knees, shaking his head, denying her. Denying her power, denying her magic, denying her god. The bells on his helm sang, Fool, fool, as the red woman looked down on him with pity. Candle flames dancing in her red red eyes bam that's that so crescent's dead he yes. tried to poison her and she took it like a champ and if you've a... seen the princess bride same thing sure same thing uh i don't think so but it is that is our introduction to melisandre stands baratheon shireen baratheon Patchface, crescent Sir davos the pylos davos and the rest of them yeah and dragonstone and dragonstone as a place Fucking what an unbelievably spectacular introduction to Clash of Kings. You got an inductee? Yes. Uh, mine's going to Shireen Baratheon. Oh shit. Because she's just such a badass bitch, man. Like, she's just this little kid in this long... She's just a small town girl. She just wants to live her best life, and it's a shitty environment. And, like, she's going to do good with and it. She and she gets fucking... Followed around by this, by this scary fucking Pennywise yeah. it thing following her around. I like that. Welcome, Shireen, for the first time, I think. Shireen. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's no no reason before. She, so, Shireen. That's a good one. All right, mine's going to, it's got to go to the Red Woman. It's got to go to Lady Melisandre. Because yeah. her presence, one, through the prologue is immense. That's all Crescent is blaming everything on at this point is yeah. Melisandre. And just, yeah, her reactions to everything. He Now he is a riddle. No, and, he is. A, and, yeah, and then, so good. you know, the uh, he, your god has no power here. You think not. Like, fire cleanses, as we've learned with Danny, that that seems to be true and clearly just kept her alive through the Strangler. So, yeah, I'm giving it to Melisandre because Fuck fucking yeah. A. And for the first time ever in a Clash of Kings reread, we have a write in and inductee from our favorite French listener, Julian. 
Julian. That's rude to all our French listeners. He's not. You're not our favorite, Julian. You just are the one that writes into us. So, you know. We can't play favorites. Yeah, sorry. So for the prologue, he says it was a long chapter for me to process. Read it in two sequences. Absolutely understandable. Biggin. Loved it to finally be confronted with Stannis in person as he was very present in a Game of Thrones through Ned's chapters. Didn't imagine Melisandre that red and monstrous. Yeah, man. There's a, like, because she kills it in the show. Like, yeah. Outstanding performance from the actress. But she's scarier. She is a terrifying individual in this book. And yeah, he says, uh, regarding the TV show looks of her red eyes, Jesus Christ. Oh, and I've heard about Patchface in podcasts. Can't wait to see if he's going to have some importance later in the books. Yes, I don't know that yet. Being the only friend of Shireen is good enough. Will Davos be her second friend like he became in the show? Must find out. You will. Oh, you will. So for his inductee for the prologue of A Clash of Kings, he's going to induct Sir Davos. Thank you. I'm biased, as I like this character because of the show, and that's okay, because the show pretty much nailed Davos. Uh, but he's the good man, as always, in these first scenes of his. Happy with his fate. Half a hand isn't so bad, it seems. Thoughtful toward the old ma- maester. And finally, smart to understand the old man is up to something. And being considerate again, whispering to him that he's doing a mistake. A deadly mistake. Goodbye, old man. Long life to Sir Davos. Yeah, if I didn't give mine to Shireen, it would have went to Davos. He's close to, if not my favorite character in the series. He's just such, like, he's your everyman. He's so identifiable mm -hmm. of, like, shit. Like, if there was a realistic character that I would be like, it'd probably be a less cool version of Davos. Basically. Because I'd be a shitty smuggler. But I'd just kind of be the simple guy who'd be like, yeah, I'll serve a king. Cool, like. whatever's got to And so, yeah, great inductee. Thank you, Julian. We're fucking so pumped to kick off. Clash Clash of Kings now and get moving along this series. Uh, Next episode, we're going to be joining our first true POV, named POV, and that will be Arya Stark. So join us there. It's going to be sick as we figure out what our little tiny... Fun little disclaimer, Arya's not going to be as long as this one. Uh, It's a much shorter chapter, and then after that will be Sansa's first chapter as well. So so we got the two Stark daughters. We're heading right in, Back to back, and glad you could be here. Glad you could join us. Catch us on the next one. Bella DeHarris. Peace. Peace.